0: Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. Well, hope, joy, faith, and love. That's the three emphasis for the Advent season. And we're in the Advent season now. Advent means coming. We're in that season where we celebrate the coming of Christ. And hope, joy, Faith and love are the things that we talk about, and you're going to see the banners. One of them is up today. That's what the candles up here at the Advent wreath are all about. One stands for each of those, and today it is hope. That's what it's about today. You know, sometimes it helps when you think about a word. What does it mean? It sometimes helps if, if you look in the opposite direction. What does its opposite mean? So what does the opposite of hope look like? What is hopelessness? Well, I imagine it's a feeling of lostness, where where there's nowhere to turn. You have nobody to turn to. You're in a position where you're convinced that nothing is ever going to ever get better. And all the joy and all the light has gone out, and there is no good future that you can imagine for yourself. You see it in that famous photo of a dust bowl mother. And She's thin and she's staring and, and her gaze is empty and she's looking into nothing because she's hopeless. Somebody has said that hopelessness, it's a, it's a bit like walking down a long, dark hallway and never knowing when that light is going to come back on. Somebody else has described it this way. They say, hopelessness, it's, you're, you're silent maybe on the outside, but you're screaming on the inside. And As we turn our attention to the birth of Christ, that time when, when the world is invaded, our time and our space is invaded as God enters it by the Christ child. As we turn our attention there, we find that His coming crushes hopelessness, and brings with it hope. Now there's an interesting phrase in the Scripture having to do with the coming of Christ. It says that Jesus came when? He came in the fullness of time. The fullness of time. That's when He came. When everything was just right for His coming. When Bethlehem happened, when that event took place, that we celebrate this month. It took place in a, in a place he, he was born in that that's hard, it was hard to have hope in anything. And at the time he was born, it was hard to have hope in anything. The Iron Heel of Rome was on the necks of everybody. And anywhere you look, there was an occupying force in your nation. And it was there in the person of a heavily armed soldier. Just stop and imagine what a trip to the store would be like if you had to go through government checkpoints and your ID had to be presented every time you went out and a soldier could come along and could order you and you had no recourse. He could order you that for the next mile you would be his personal slave. You had to do whatever he said. That was the law. And that was the law when Jesus came. In fact, later on, Jesus will turn that whole thing on his head when he says, if a soldier orders you to carry something for a mile, blow his mind and let him know that you are a totally different kind of human being by carrying it too. But that's what it was like. That was the hopelessness in that time. Stop and imagine what that would be like. These Romans had come into their nation and they had... They had instituted the bloody spectacle of crucifixion if you didn't knuckle under. And then there there was government corruption that added to the hopelessness, and that corruption kept everybody poor. There was no chance to escape. There was a religious mafia. You you would think you could turn to your religion for comfort, but there was a religious mafia that was in the hands of two very powerful, outwardly pious leading families, and they had made the faith a thing of fear and not comfort. They pounded into your head that you needed to be afraid of violating the law, and there were a lot of laws. And there was the constant reminders from them of everybody's imperfection. And they'd convinced everybody, they'd convinced all of the people of God's anger and the sacrifices were essential to keep His rage from boiling over on you. And hellfire was more talked about than the comfort of heaven. And it didn't matter anyway because when you talked about heaven, only a few of the very most religious and careful keepers of hundreds of rules were ever going to see that place anyway. So there was plenty of hopelessness. But there was one hope that refused to die. There was one thing that they hoped for that would not go away. What was it they were hoping for? They hoped that Messiah would come soon. And He would put an end to all of that. All of their hopes and all of their dreams were in Him. And they they knew, I can hold on because the Messiah has been promised. We sang it in that song, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. They had expected Him for a long time, but they knew when Messiah comes, things are going to be okay. That was their one hope. They hoped that when He came, things would change. Everything would change. When He comes, everything is going to be different. No more Rome, no more corruption, no no more ignorance, no more poverty, no more sickness. It'll be a brand new golden age when Messiah comes. They hoped that life would get better, the quality of life would improve, and the squalor that everybody lived in, that that would change as well and their health would get better and housing would get better and streets would be safer and, and and businesses would be more honest and their children would have a chance and the weather would get better even the deserts would blossom like a rose and the crops would flourish when messiah comes they hoped that they would hear from god again you see they had gone through and we sang about it as well 400 silent years what they called it. It had been 400 years since God had said anything to anybody. When the the kids would say, Pop, have you ever heard from God? No, I never have. Grandpa ever hear from God? No. How about great-grandpa? Did he ever hear from God? No, again. God was silent for 400 years. And nobody in living memory had been told anything by God. There was no Shekinah glory in the temple anymore. That had been gone for a long, long time. And all of them were painfully aware of some kind of a curse that rested on them. They were reminded of it when they got to the end of their scriptures. The very last sentence in the book of Malachi, that's where the, the, the last voice had been heard. And the very last sentence says from the Lord, lest I come and smite you with a curse. And they're thinking now we're living under that curse and God is silent for us. Let me show you how difficult it was for them and what damage it did inside of them. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before, had talked about a people who walked in darkness. And they believed that they were that people who walked in darkness. But the damage that it did inside of them was so great, That they no longer quoted it that way. They no longer said the people who walked in darkness. Look in your book of Matthew. When it's repeated there, it's now the people who sat in darkness. In other words, no more walking even. They're so hopeless that now all they can do is sit. And they're resigned to staying in that darkness. And they believed that they were the terrible people. And they were suffering The silence of God for that. The greatest hope of all of their hopes. The one that they hoped for more than anything else. More than than freedom from their oppressors or deliverance from crooked politicians. More than any of that. They wanted to hear from God again. They wanted to hear from God again. They wanted God's silence to end. I want you to turn to a couple of verses in the Gospel of John. The very beginning of John's Gospel, the first chapter. It's another one of those giant chapters. You could spend your whole life long just looking at that chapter. But at the very beginning it says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. It's talking about The one who has now come, he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Do you realize what those verses that are talking about the coming of Christ, the Messiah who's finally arrived, do you realize what they're telling us? They're telling us that the thing they had hoped for, it came to pass, and their hope was wildly exceeded. You know, I think it's the point of the Bible that you really can't escape if you read it after a while, that we're no different from the people in the Bible. Oh, we dress differently and we like to think we're smarter. But we're really no different than the people in the Bible. We think like they did. We act like they did. We misbehave the same way they did. We fail. We laugh. We are them. And the things that they hoped for are the things that we hope for. And I notice... That what we're being told here in John is, we never expected the Messiah, no matter how much we hope for Him, we never expected Him to look like this. There's a whole superhero industry, isn't there? with all kinds of heroes that have all kinds of powers. Well, that's, that's not modern. That goes back a long way. Go back to Hercules or the Titans or Paul Bunyan or Odysseus. Figures that are larger than life and have powers that nobody else has. We have talked about them for a long time. That's just the way we think. Superman, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. When we think about hero, that's what we think about. And naturally, we have the same idea about a Deliverer God would send. That he would be like a superhero. That's what they thought. That when this Christ came, Christ is the same word as Messiah, and both words mean anointed, the King. When the King comes, he's going to be a conqueror. He's going to be a superhero to crush Rome and deliver them and fight their battles for them and restore them. And when Jesus finally came, many of them missed him and missed the Messiah that they longed for because they never expected Him, listen, to be God. They expected a deliverer. They expected a hero. They expected a king to come. But they never expected that it would be God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Messiah is God. And that's why so many missed it, because they never expected Him to look like that. Notice again, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, what God was, the Word was. Some of our Bibles say He was fully God. When Jesus came, He was fully God. I can only assume that the reason He had to come Himself is things had gotten to the point that nothing else would do for us anymore. He had to come Himself. He had to come Himself. But we never expected Messiah to be God. And we never expected Him to look so much like us. It says He he came, God incarnate. You heard that phrase. Again, we sang it today. We talk about the incarnation. If you are a Spanish speaker, you can pull that word apart and understand it. It's got to do with flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. People could have said, well, we thought, God, when you sent Messiah, that you would speak from a prophet because he had done that before. Or or you would send a teacher. Or maybe you would send more scripture, maybe. Or you would inspire somebody to say something or speak to the clouds from us. That's what we were expecting. But he went beyond all of that. And when he spoke, he, he, he spoke what he wanted to say, and he did it through his son. Look at Jesus. That's what God has to say to us. Look at Jesus. That's what He wants to say to us. Some years before the silent years ended and the Word came and Christ was born, there were a group of smart Greek philosophers that got together and they came up with a question. Not knowing anything about a promised Messiah, But they came up with a question that was called the Great Proposition, and it went something like this, if God became man, what would he look like? They tried to imagine, if God came to earth, what would he look like? Well, they said he would probably have an unusual entrance into life, into this world. You don't get any more unusual than a virgin birth, do you? I bet you don't know of another. They said if if God became man, if he came down, if he came to this earth, what would he be like? Well, we would expect that he could control nature. You remember Jesus saying to the storm, be still. If God became man, they said we would expect that he would know people on a level that others did not know people. He knows what's in us, doesn't he? Among other things, Jesus is a master psychologist. We would expect him, they said, to have power over death. And Jesus demonstrated that. We would expect that his words would be the greatest words ever spoken. And what did Jesus say about his own words? The most audacious statement a speaker could ever make. He said, heaven and earth may pass away, but what I've got to say will never pass away. Now either that's a true statement or it's the dumbest thing that was ever said. It's true. If God became man, if God became man, but we never expected him to look so much like us. Again, Isaiah said when he comes, he's, he's, he's going to be so like us. Isaiah said he's going to be so much like us that in him there would be no natural beauty that would draw people to him. He's not going to be a stunning model. He's going to be so common, so average, that he'll be overlooked easily. And that's just like the average person, isn't it? The average person, I'm looking at a bunch of average people. Not stunning in beauty, doesn't really attract anybody. That's average. He was average that way. And it was a word. When this word came, it was a word that spoke life to everybody that absorbed it. But we never expected Him to look so much like us. And we never expected it to be so personal. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. Some Bibles say the darkness couldn't overcome it. And our confusion and our chaos and our trying to second guess and understand everything, we can't understand Him, can we? When he came, we never expected it to be so personal. Jesus is, is never interested in what the crowd thinks or says or does. It's always, what do you think? What are you doing? Forget about them. What about you? Jesus is always interested in us as an individual. And I've got to tell you that you have gotten yourself involved in sing, in something that, that, that is not religion. It's a relationship. And it's personal. And we never expected that when our Savior would come, our hero would show up, that it would be so personal. The Lord is so intensely personal. Hope is what we're talking about. So when the long-expected Messiah comes in the first century Israel or He shows up at the crossroads of our sad little lives today, we never imagined that He would come Himself, that He would come to us Himself, and we never imagined that He would come in a body like ours, and we never dreamed that it would all be so personal, so personal that sometimes it just makes you weep to be around Him. You know, sometimes science sets itself up as an alternative to God. Every once in a while it does that. I, I read recently of one scientist who was making a case saying, you know, worship, you can worship without God. You don't need to have a God to worship. This particular guy was an atheist, and he said, there is no God, but you can still worship. You don't need a God to worship. And then he went on to say, what, what would be wrong with people gathering to marvel at the law of gravity? Gravity. Or, or to get together and, and wonder at the solar system and how vast it is and how intricate it is, or, or to contemplate the intricacies of the structure of a rose. Scientists actually proposed that as a replacement for worship of God. And he was pretty proud of his idea until somebody came along and said, Ask, can it, what you're proposing, can it tell me? if I'll ever see my deceased parents again. And the scientist said, we can't help you with that. We had another funeral this last week. You know, I really don't like funerals. The problem with funerals for me is that I realize that in the life of somebody now, maybe a bunch of somebody's, everything has changed. Because I really do believe that this thing is so intricate, life is so intricate, that if you take out one person, it all changes. And so that happened for another family again this week. And I I realize that we can hold it together when it comes time for funerals because of the hope that we will see them again, right? That's how we can make it bearable, is... This person who has always been there, and they're not there now, but one day they will be back again, and and we'll see them again. And and that helps us to bear it and hold it all together. I was telling Wayne a while ago, it's, it's a year ago that my mother passed away. And I've been thinking about that for several weeks. In fact, the last several weeks I've had those kind of awkward internal moments kind of sort of like the external moment when you trip and you're glad you're all by yourself and nobody saw it. But that's been happening on the inside and I've been glad nobody saw it where I've thought about something or been involved in something and thought, oh, I want to tell my mom. Or I want to ask her a question and get her advice on something. She saved me from doing a lot of dumb things. Because I would ask her and she would give her best advice. And so there are things I want to ask her. Or, or, or I want to include her in on something. And then all of a sudden I'll be thinking that. And then, oh yeah. That. Well, it's been like that for the last several weeks. And what that's done for me is it, it's produced within me a sense that I just wanted to see her again. Right? And I begin to think... Because I don't know how it happens with you, but it happens this way with me. Things that happen in life, they crowd into my dreams, you know, in some distorted form usually, but they get in there, the things that I'm dealing with during the day. And so I thought it was kind of amazing over these last several weeks, I've been thinking along those lines that I wanted to see her, that I hadn't had any dreams of her for a year. And I thought that was unusual and odd because things you think about get into your dreams sometimes and so I was disappointed that I wasn't even seeing her in a dream but yesterday Saturday right before I woke up it was a crazy disjointed dream it didn't mean a whole lot but as I right before I woke up she was there and she was healthy and whole and and then when I, I did wake up, I realized that it was a year to the day that she left. Crazy, huh? Now, you can say what you want, but I'll take that one from God. It, it to me, is a little, a little sign of hope. It's enough for now, but it fuels a much greater hope, you see, because Christ fuels all hope. He is our hope. I am the hopeless one, and he brings hope to me. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.